This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10 for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give Fine Dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. Think it's safe to say, uh, got a little stress, a little anxiety. Some, you know, 38-year-old ex-jock chronic pain. Uh, but I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure a lot of people are similar in that way. And for me, I like Feels. It's premium CBD that you get delivered directly to your doorstep. Uh, it helps naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. It does its CBD. It's high-quality CBD, uh, tasteless, few drops under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. And the cool thing about Feels is uh, F-E-A-L-S. They have real human support. Uh, they have a hotline for for people who are new to CBD. Um, it's, na- it's a natural way to help fall asleep and help reduce stress, so... It's got Gabrus written all over it. Join the Feels community and you get Feels delivered to your door every month and you'll save money on every order. You can pause and cancel at any time. Um, I love my monthly Feels delivery, that's for sure. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash mighty and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mighty to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash mighty. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one Zoom boy, the number one Zoom boy, the number one Zoom boy, Johnny G. Joining me as always in the High and Mighty studios, my nearly silent co-host, Arthur Gabris. Arthur, scared when I just scream into my monitor so he's not here. Also joining me in the High and Mighty studios, remotely from the Stream of Blood studios, as what we get to call our garages and extra rooms in our houses now, mm-hmm. former guest of the podcast, I got fucking Jared, Lo- I don't know why I'm cursing, Jared Logan is on the podcast again. Jared motherfucking Logan, I'm here. I'm here <laughs> in the Stream of say- Blood studio where you can sometimes hear my one-year-old crying through the wall. <laughs> 
Yo, by the way, I just... That's how well soundproofed we are here in the studio. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In my studio, you often hear landscapers and neighbors. (laughs) Sometimes. Right. It's hard to have a studio in a a 12-unit apartment. (laughs) No, their studio does really good work. Sometimes a motorcycle goes by outside and it ruins the uh, whole show. (laughs) But yeah, it's a good good studio. Uh, Jared, this... It's like episode 200 and something. I, I wanted to Google the last episode you were on. It was episode seven of High and oh, Mighty. Oh, beautiful. I love that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm anxious. Let's record this one, and then I might listen to a little bit of the earlier one and see. I think my tastes have probably even changed since then, because it's been a couple years. It's been, yeah. It's got to be like four-something years at this point. Yeah. I can't believe, first of all, I, fantasy novels come up on every episode in a, in a weird way, but I haven't Great. had like a dedicated conversation and. uh a number of years have passed. I've uh, re-listened to a bunch of my favorite fantasy, read some new fantasy. So I right. thought a revisit was time. You're doing uh, a fantasy, uh, well, a tabletop gaming stream, right? Is that what yeah, you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's fantasy elements. It's all horror, <laughs> fantasy, sci-fi. I kind of lump it all together a little bit. But yeah. yes, absolutely. That's dope. Uh, well, let's just get let's get started because uh, we talked a little bit about this, but let's get started with: Have you read any new fantasy to you recently that you really yeah. enjoyed? Well, I read some new fantasy in the last year that I think is kind of new in general, which is a novel called the. Tr- it's got it's got quite a title. It's called <laughs> the the Trader Beru Cormorant. <laughs> And there's blanket statement that proper nouns uh, are the thing that may undo my love of fantasy novels eventually. Um, but- yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a, a fantastic, amazing book. It's by a guy named um, Seth Dickinson. Sorry, I just had to look that up really quickly. And it already has one sequel called The Monster Beru Cormorant. And um, it's it's pretty new. I think it came out in 2016, something like that. And to me, it is some of the strongest fantasy I've seen in decades. It's incredible. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have like a long running list at the end of this episode of all the shit I need to check out. Yeah. Um, but uh, how would you categorize this fantasy? Because now I'm like, in my head, Forgotten Realms, anything D&D based was fantasy when in the 90s. Now it's yeah. so blown out that I'm always like... Oh, is like how do you even describe? Do you say like Arthurian fantasy? Like of sure, that world? you could, but you couldn't European. say about this book. But you could say Arthurian about other books. I mean, I I have all kinds of descriptors for this book. How, the, how the would one you describe that, it? Yeah. Well, the, the Wikipedia uses this, and I and I had to look up what it meant. Low fantasy, right? Or no, I'm sorry, hard fantasy, not low fantasy. Hard fantasy. You know how there's hard and soft sci-fi? Yeah. Well, yeah. did you know that there's hard fantasy? No, I did not. Okay, neither did I actually. How would you I deli- looked- What makes it hard fantasy? So, um, a soft fantasy book would be one that has like a lot of crazy magic in it and every kind of like mythical animal, you know. If there's like a Pegasus and there's also a griffin and there's a wizard who turns flowers into fire, that's probably <laughs> soft fantasy. But a hard fantasy book is a lot more down to earth and is more focused on an alternative culture that the person has come up with. And the book, The Trader Baru Cormoran, is very much concerned with this pretty realistic 
culture, uh, this colonial culture that is kind of taking over this this world where um, magic is not commonplace. I'm not even sure you could say that magic definite, definitely exists in this world. There's strangeness. There are weird philosophical systems, and there are definitely legends and myths and things like that. But um, no one is shooting a fireball across a battlefield in the Trader Beru Cormorant. Right. Oh, that's cool. I, I, the Abercrombie fiction, the, uh, the Abercrombie fantasy, like uh, book of, uh, book of law, whatever that's called. Yeah, uh, yeah. The blade uh, itself and all the blade those. itself. Yeah, yeah. Those. I find that's what. I, that was a new venture for me when I read those a few years ago, and I felt the same way about those. I'm like, oh, they treat magic the way. Like, I guess the difference would be like if we wanted to like uh, make it more layman, like a comic book movie where you meet all the Avengers uh, versus a comic book movie where a guy like slowly realizes there's something off about his capabilities or whatever. Right. Sure. Like, you know, the movie Black Widow versus the Avengers. You know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Where, you know, it's so so for sure. And um, and I, you know, even if you go back to Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's a little bit like that. I mean. I mean, you might call, you could call Lord of the Rings soft fantasy, but in a way, you know, both Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, they don't like pile on the magic that much. Lord of the Rings has Gandalf who who shoots it out there quite a bit, and there are some fantastical beasts and stuff, but like, mostly it's like about guys walking and uh, (laughs) conserving their resources. Um, it is about Lembus rationing more than anything right. else. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, if you think about that or Game of Thrones, we're getting there's some spells and crazy magic that happens, but it happens like you know once every six hundred pages. Like, and like, and it's treated as if like it's not like, well, we'll of course go to the Red Sorcerer and she'll be able to give birth to a right. shadow baby. No, it's like, and it's like, oh fuck, dragons, and maybe eighty percent of characters don't even believe that they exist. Like, absolutely. I like that shit. Yeah. So, so Trader Bear. Cormorant, I mean, I guess what really makes it hard fantasy is it takes it almost one step further. Like, I don't think you ever quite see something truly magical happen at all. But, I mean, there's like, they they mind control certain people. This like really repressive colonial government can like program people to not feel pain and to like be like these Manchurian candidates for this evil empire. And uh, it's got stuff like that in it instead. Oh, that's cool though. I mean, the other thing that. that's really cool about it. Sorry, I'm just gonna. You're gonna no, have to go. just be like, stop talking, so I can talk, Jared. Wait, um, first of all, is- that's you. You would be the first guest that I had to try to talk over. <laughs> like, usually, <laughs> okay. it's the, it's a reverse. So I'm glad. Also, we're on exclusively comic book guy territory here. So if we just take yeah. turns railing about our favorite fantasy novels, mission accomplished. So we'll go. just have to wait <laughs> till each of us gets winded. Uh, <laughs> As a 40 year old man, I'm uncomfortable saying this, but go off, King. Yes. <laughs> Here comes the king. I will slay. Um, so the other thing that's really kind of, I think, significant about Beru Cormoran is that, um, you know, the culture war found its way into sci-fi and fantasy at the same time it found its way into music, TV, movies, and everything else, where there's sort of this crazy conservative side and liberal side right now, and they seem really at loggerheads. And in uh, the sci-fi fantasy world, it represented itself by, you know, a lot of books were getting picked for Hugo Awards and Nebula Awards that were written by different types of people than we'd maybe previously seen. People of color, (laughs) 
female individuals. <laughs> wow, I know it's shocking, but, but they, they were write winning. books too. <laughs> they write books too, and sometimes they win awards. And um, a lot of there was a lot of um, there was a lot of backlash to this by uh, very insecure men uh, who previously dominated the genre. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it. You could look it up on the internet. But, but there's ethic, about, it's ethics and fantasy journalism. Yeah, more or I less mean. Con- Almost exactly that, John. Like, honestly, that's the kind of stuff these guys were parroting. But the thing about Barry Cormoran is that it, like, fucking puts in all the stuff those guys complain about is in the book. But, like, it's so perfectly, seamlessly, definitely, like, it's it definitely has to be in the story. And it's at the core of the story. Like, the main character is gay. And that's an important plot point and it's an exciting characterization and there and it's complicated the way that things in real life are complicated and all the things that the evil empire does hit on all kinds of these like political points that you and I talk and argue about with other people maybe every day but they all have to be there it doesn't feel like in any way you're being preached to it feels like you're reading a story that's kind of about these things and i think sometimes when people complain because look, there are there are like very conservative books from like the golden age of sci-fi or even more <laughs> recent ages of fantasy and sci-fi that are really enjoyable reads because they put whatever their politics is sort of at the core of the story. And so Barry Cormorant has like liberal politics, but it's so at the core of the story. I think it's undeniable. It's undeniably a good book, and it's undeniable that that stuff had a place in the story. I, I guess I guess I'm basically saying it takes all those guys who were complaining and dunks on them really hard i i love nothing more than a story that has i guess like i i hate to use other people's lexicon but that has snowflake sjw shit in it but yeah i love when it just has it and it's not like we're learning a lesson about you know so and so these these types of people are real people too like an example that uh of kind of along the same lines is i read the first two books of the Broken Earth trilogy, the N.K. Yes. Jemsen book. And uh, I loved the first book. I kind of fell off on the second and third book, I, I, I admittedly. But the first book has, it's like, you're reading this whole thing and you don't even know what characters, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but randomly a character is like, is trans and it's not, a plot point, it's just like, well, and I met this character, they were a different gender. Now this character is a yes. new gender. And it's just, and it's not, it's like kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. It's not so core to the story that it's just built, but it is so almost just a not important to the story that it adds that other layer too, where it's just like, the, whether it's an elf, a dwarf, or a trans character, doesn't matter. This is the NPC that's explaining something to you here. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that's such a, I think that's a hard thing to do as a writer to, to, I mean, unfortunately, in this day and age, because uh, we're not quite as progressive as we'd like to be, where people just go, oh, a trans character, and keep moving on. So they have to be so talented to pull off some of the things we're talking about. And uh, I, I also read those N.K. Jemisin right. books, and boy, she pulls it off so well, like by showing a diversity of different types of characters and points of view, and just cr- and then on top of that, all the crazy action and like the intrigue and awesome world building that doesn't feel like you're reading an essay about her world building it's yeah oh and also uh yes this their world full of magic but the way they articulate it it's like 
it's got like that sort of negative connotation in their world, which I also like the persecution of magic using. I always think that's an interesting angle, like the yeah. X the X Men point of view, if you will. Yeah, and uh, I think it has that very well. And then also a, f- a friend, uh, Mark Rennie, he was like, "Oh, I think you would love this." He's like, "Also, might be the first fantasy novel you read where n- none of the characters are white, or maybe yeah. you don't n- don't realize what uh, color the people's skins are." It's yeah. like, "Oh my!" Like you don't like. Of course, they're what they're describing is sort of like a tribal sort of society in a way, and you're like, "Oh, that's so." It's so fucking cool to be like, "Tricked" is not the right word, but like you read the whole. I hope somewhere someone was like. Whoa, that was cool. I didn't even realize black and trans people could do magic or whatever. <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 no, it is true. Like, it doesn't really make a make a big deal about the fact that nobody is white. And then I think that maybe some people probably didn't realize it until they got to the little index of world stuff at the end where she, <laughs> you know, after the whole story's over and it's like the end of the novel, there's also this like, you know, like, like Game of Thrones and some other fantasy novels has like this little glossary and like yeah. a timeline and all that cool little stuff things that i love to find in a fantasy book oh That's love all maps love supplemental yeah. maps loves uh, i love supplemental lore i yeah. love like uh yeah like oh ever since the this event this arbitrary event that took place in this world ever since the slippening and you're like yeah, wow yeah. i can't wait to find out what the slippening was yeah. <laughs> uh yeah and it's like if someone can do it like she did where that's all in like a you know a couple pages at the end that you can kind of go and cross reference instead of like being in like blocks of dialogue like <laughs> oh my god there's so many books where like people are just like i better put every word i wrote about the world into the book somewhere and make people talk like they never have or will oh yeah i just so uh- uh, I list. I re-listened to almost the entire Drizzt to Erdin saga, which yes. is like twenty-seven books. I've li- I've read probably up to 20, fo- 20 of them in my childhood. But I just, yeah. as I was doing uh, marathon training, I just re-listened to all of them. First of all, fantasy audiobooks for books you've already read, I think is b- besides memoirs read by the author or the protagonist. Yeah. I think. F- uh, rereading fantasy novels is what audiobooks is built for. Yeah, Where sure. You have no d- worries about uh, track keeping track of names because you kind of know them already. Yeah. Or if you like accidentally got a phone call and forgot where you were, you're like, well, I know Bruner Battlehammer's the dwarf. Whatever, you know. Yeah, let's yeah, keep yeah. going. Yeah. And it was such a great comfort. But the the thing that hit me the most when re-listening to it was, I was like, damn, this is kind of like uh, repetitive and childish. And then I was like. You did read these when you were twelve and like them, so yeah. it's like when you were repetitive and childish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like I'm 38 now, going. These are kind of weirdly for children. And I read them when I was a child, and I was like, yeah. oh. So that uh, that inspired me to be like, I gotta track down some new, some more adult, some more modern contemporary fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that I was mean, I re- like I like but- old stuff too. I just go back farther than the 90s. Right, right, right. Well, that's when that was my origin to it all was the D and D world. So, like, of course, I, ripping through all the drizzit stuff. But all it did was make me like, I see this. I could see the scaffolding anymore, and it's like, but I also could see what people like about that because it is sort of like getting your character to level one hundred in a, a game, yeah. and supering uh, like getting the perfect armor set that gives you the perfect bonuses, like. Like hacking your character in Diablo or tabletop or whatever, where you're like, with the plus five eyesight, I can shoot for, you know, all that shit. And R.A. Salvatore is just doing that for every character. And, yeah. But 
on like book 20, they're like trying to figure out what bad guys could even be scary for Drizzt and them to deal with. And it's constantly like uh, somehow these three people were kidnapped and Drizzt is forced to strip himself of his magic weapon. Like they're constantly trying to create these situations. I'm like, oh, slight like tick back magic a little bit and you can have yourself a story. But like since he's constantly fighting the best fighters and winning, you start to get like, well, he's not going to get hurt in this fight. <laughs> I know. Well, that's also what it's like when you're dungeon mastering a group of characters that's gotten to like 12th level or whatever, and they just destroy every monster you throw at them. A lot of those books were written based on <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that people played. Um, I know, oh, I think, I'm I don't sure. know if Drizzt was, I don't know if Drizzt was for certain, but I know that all those Dragonlance novels were an actual campaign people played through. And there's even like book series that you wouldn't realize were like role-playing game campaigns. Like, uh, have you ever heard of The Expanse? The, it's like a It's a sci-fi, sci-fi show. TV show now, but it's a series of books and it's like a, it's like a campaign that George R. R. Martin played in. <laughs> oh right, because he's like an EP on that show too, right? Or yeah, and like he that. was, and he's a big nerd who who plays Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games. Like, there's like a, I, I don't, I don't have the list off the top of my head, but there's a big list of stuff that's like very popular. Um, there's Steven Erickson wrote a big series of fantasy books. They're like big thick door stoppers. It was all based on a campaign. Uh, that he had a role-playing game campaign. And then I read more about it, and he had said that the role-playing game campaign was just him and one other guy. So (laughs) one-on-one, he played Dungeons & Dragons with one guy for like 10 years, and then they just wrote down everything that happened. (laughs) If I'm that other guy, I'm like... Hey, you know, I think that was my my line. Let me get a slice here. Like if you're if you're the dude who played a character named Drizzt in R.A. Salvatore's tabletop yeah. game, you're like, hey man, throw me a few bucks. I'm fucking. <laughs> well, I mean, think about this friendship, John, because the one guy writes most of the books. He wrote ten of them or something like that. But the other guy wrote like two or three books. There's like thirteen books. So the two guys are the only ones who have written novels about this world. And it's it's the first book is called Gardens of the I don't know that I could recommend it to anybody because it's completely batshit. I may have even mentioned it in your first, our first episode that we did, but it's like literally like it takes forever to make sense of anything that's happening in it. There's like <laughs> magic, like in the first page, there's like magic that turns a guy into a puppet and then there are cards that lead to other dimensions. It's like, <laughs> and there's a guy who lives in a floating castle with a sword where if he hits you with the sword, you go to a pocket dimension where you have to pull a giant wagon for eternity. I can't even, I'm going to stop describing it now. Well, it's almost like if like you, you've been in writer's rooms before, like if you sat fucking pitched on ideas pitched on ideas and then you just like only presented what came at like hour seven yeah like, right oh, like, and like and then you th- it sounds like even like these books have the energy of like the kid uh telling you what happened in the writers and then jared said right. there's a sword and the sword can kill right. somebody like and you're like uh let's put this on later pages guys we don't need to open up with all these ideas or if you just like took every single idea you had and we're like let's just <laughs> Put all of it in the book. <laughs> yeah, we got to monetize the entire whiteboard somehow. <laughs> Why prioritize one idea over another when they're all good? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I find that I 
swords and sorcery, might and magic, what, what, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever you want to call it. Th- that world of fantasy is always my favorite. And right. I love I love flexes on that, whether it becomes like it's a ship world or a desert world or a blank world or magic is low key or everyone is a little magical or like it's animals that have swords or whatever. Like I love all variations of that. But there's been more and more people are recommending me more and more shit where I'm like, I don't even know if this is for me, but... I'm enjoying so much fantasy. I I guess I'll check out this one where it's like they're all thimbles. You know, it's always like some weird allegory or metaphor I don't understand. Sure. And I'm like, my okay. pal is like, my pal Brian is always like, I like castles. Like he'll read another type of world, but he wants the he basically really would like he would prefer for the world to have castles and like knights. I li- and so that's, I, that's why me. Game of Thrones is his. Yeah, that's you too. That's where I, I come of, from, I guess. Yeah, because I I, I, I like battles. I like parties. I like p- th- fantasy. For me, boils down to I guess like X Men or Marvel and uh, Dungeons Dragons happened at the same time in my life. And the thing that hit me the most, also, I was a little sports kid so the idea of teams and everyone has like a skill set and it's like the rogue the mage the warrior the healer the thief the whatever the baker the candlestick maker all that shit like that's my idea of like that's my peak fantasy so i like game of thrones for that reason i like all the stupid forgotten realm shit i love uh what's the one with kaladin uh the Oathbringer, uh, Stormlight Archives. The like Stormlight I love, Archives, yeah, yeah Brandon like, Sanderson. Yes, I like love all those. And I, I always refer to those as high fantasy or European fantasy or Arthurian fantasy, I guess. Yeah, well, they're very, you know, knights and swords and things like that. Um, but I'd say all the Brandon Sanderson's are also very Mormon. Yes. Uh, not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with that. But he's just like this, like, guy from Utah. I think he's from Utah, and he's he's Mormon. And, and like, I man... I'm just going to say it because I think it's funny and I think it's true. He has like a very Mormon sense of humor. <laughs> it's kind of like hearing a joke at church. Um, oh, hi, a reverend. That was a good one. Um, yeah, and also in the books, there is that element of like, and this character drinks alcohol. <laughs> yes. Like, that, meanwhile, if we're modeling it on actual Middle Ages, everyone was, you only, you didn't drink water. You right, drank yeah. alcohol to stay alive. Wine was like the thing that they all drank, you know, or small <laughs> beer, which was just beer with a lot of water in it. Delicious. Um, Bud Light. Yeah, but I haven't read Stormlight, but I think it's also like kind of in like a colorful desert setting, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's so sort like, of like Chasm World. Like uh, that that I thought had some of the best world building in like its uh, pacing of releasing information. You're like, oh, weird. They're like yeah. out of the corner of his eyes. He sees some green squiggles coming out of the bug or whatever. And you're like, what could that mean? And then like slowly you like they keep adding details and details until you understand more and more what the oath bringer and all this shit is. I actually the other uh, sorry, real quick. The other thing about reading a fantasy series, then reading a different fantasy series, then reading book one of a fantasy series and then reading it di- is that I have to like art. It's hard for me to sit down and be like, OK, Brandon Sanderson, this is the one with the armor, the special right. sword. Yeah, because I, it's easy for them to all blend together. No, it's absolutely true. Like, I mean, you know, even if they're very memorable and well-written, like, if you jump around a lot, you can get kind of make your head spin. And, you know, what I've just recently started doing is reading books that I know I've read before, but now I'm uh, 40, and I think, oh, shit, I read that when I was 22. And then when you read it, you're like, 
Oh well, it's like you said with the audiobooks. You're 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 listening to things that you you'd read when you were young. You are a different person, so you interpret everything differently, and the whole experience is completely different. Not just with fantasy books, of course, but uh, <laughs> yeah. those are definitely they factor heavily into my reading. So um, I go back and check out uh, old stuff. Yeah, um, and and it is and it is easy though to get like kind of confused between them. Um, oh yeah, well someone will be like, oh yeah, I'm like, I yeah, I read like five books of Wheel of Time. And I'm like, uh, that's the one with the guy who's a, one guy's a wolf ish, wolf adjacent or something. Yeah. And like, and I'm like trying to remember, and it's like, no, no, never mind. The Battle Rager dwarf is from this. What I'm thinking of is that like, because yeah, especially when they have slight overlaps. And then when you uh, are re-listening or rereading, like re-listening to the Forgotten Realm shit, I'd be sitting there and I'd be like, oh shit. Oh God, she's a dragon. These are the dragon twins. Says, oh my God, that's a so. And you get so excited that you like remember that. Yeah, your that's brain, awesome. God forbid you had to pull that detail like cold. Like someone's like, hey, do you remember the name? You'd be like, I don't fuck. But when you're re-listening, you start to feel that like weird like body like deja vu feeling when you're like, oh my God, I was riding my bike thinking about this. Oh yeah, light it can like scene. take you back to sense memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I smell mom's apple pie. Back when my sneakers could take me anywhere. Um, I yeah, I really envy people who like my brother is able to do this. So if he starts at volume one, he just goes straight to volume two, then volume three, vol- volume four, and he stays in the one world. This is he's not going to get confused because he's he's reading the same characters for you know, thousands and thousands of pages. And uh, my brother, actually, he keeps hitting the end. You know, he's waiting for the next book to come out. You know what I mean? Because he yeah. keeps, he keeps like binging the series to the point where it's, it's not finished. So I, I have ADD. I, I don't literally have it, I, but I have fantasy ADD where I, I, if I love a world, I still 600 pages of it. I'm, I'm set. I can move on to another one for a little while. I still want to go back and get part two and part three eventually, but not back to back to back to back. I'm more I'm more like your brother, I think, because once I or especially if I find one I like the last two that I the Abercrombie one I got into and just plowed through. And then a year later, re-listened to all of them, including the expand like yeah. the, the outside the trilogy novels. Uh, Sanderson, the uh, uh, Stormlight ones, and then Rothfuss. Uh, the name of the wind. Yeah, that, I, I like. I, I read the first book and I was like, yes, and just powered through to the end. And then I was like, ah. And then you were like, the the tricky part becomes like, oh, okay, August twenty twenty is when their next book comes out. Great. And then you go by, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, when was that book coming out? And then you had missed it by like five months or whatever. And you're like, no. <laughs> That's kind of fun though when you realize you have something that you're really looking forward to that you forgot about. But yes. the problem is that date is made up and those guys just don't hit those deadlines <laughs> Never. at all. Never. Yeah. And even uh, Sanderson or Rothfuss, one of those two freaks, has like on their pay- on their home website, their author name website, it's like, uh, outline for book three, check completed. Uh, first draft, check completed. Outline for book four, check. and I'm like that. This is crazy. This feels like a very specific only to fantasy writers, because like um, it does, doesn't it? Because like, I don't think they, I don't R. think R. other Martin types of writers of are held to the same stand standard that they are. No, no, because uh, there's that element of like it's an expansive story, and I'll tell you when the next segment comes out. And you're like, no, if it was a TV show or a movie, you have like dates to hit and shit like that. Yeah. 
And like, yeah, with, and then like if it's a literary novel, no one is like, when's the next one? Like they're just like, yeah, when's you know, the next what JD Salinger's allowed to just quit, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. JD Salinger wasn't like for years like posting on his website when the next adventure of Holden Caulfield was coming out. <laughs> Right, like, and I think George R. R. Martin is probably the like uh, quintessential, like the signifier version of this of the guy who's because all his books were. I I started reading uh, Game of Thrones, the first book, before the HBO series came out. But as I read it, I read through the series in perfect timing. That Winds of Winter, or Dance of Dragons, whichever the sixth one, or whatever, came out right as I finished like the fifth one. I was like, I never mm. had it so timed, and I'm like. Well, now, of course, I'm going to have to wait. That was, I read all those in New York. I've been living in L.A. for yeah. nine, year, nine years now. <laughs> yeah. Waiting on this last book for quite a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I heard someone make a very good argument. I think it was, uh, I think it was the sci-fi author who I really enjoy. Oh, wait, I'm going to look up his name so I get it right. But he was basically saying, these guys like R.R. Martin have written so many pages of entertainment that they are actually all, John Scalzi was talking about this. John Scalzi is the author's name. So he was, they've written so much, like their books are so thick that really they've written you the equivalent of like 18 normal books. Right. You know, they just have, George R. R. Martin, especially because each chapter is a different character. So yeah. if you could, you could pull out all the Sansa chapters, the most, the, probably the worst chapters for uh, five of the books. You could pull all those out, and that's eight thousand pages of just one character's yeah. story, and that's intertwining with ten other, twelve other characters at any given moment. <laughs> right. He made that point, and then he kind of made the point to he was like, uh, "Quit bothering them." <laughs> he was like, "Quit bothering George R. R. Martin. Right, right. He'll finish it when he feels like it." You, you create. Game of Thrones, you know, which I guess is a fair point. <laughs> but I also I don't blame anybody for grousing when you know you, you, you just it's just, you're only complaining because you like it so much and you want the next edition, the next volume. I feel like the heat is off, uh, George, though, since the uh, finale of the TV show. Luckily, everyone was like, I can't wait to read the last book, and then the show ended, and they were like, um. I can't imagine the books be- much better. <laughs> like I'm out. <laughs> like who cares? <laughs> People hated that finale. I-, I don't know. For me, the TV show got better the second that they didn't have. They ran out of book. The yeah. second they know they were no longer trying to follow the book and they were just doing things that TV shows do well, like. Um, get two characters together in a room to have a conversation, (laughs) which the books never fucking did. Like the books were, yeah. Which is fine in prose because you can listen to Tyrion talk to whoever he's standing next to. you can listen to to his thoughts. (laughs) Right, right. But until we characters meet, which they they don't do in the books to like, I I, I remember getting like when Tyrion finally meets up with uh, uh, Daenerys, you're like, Oh, there we go. Characters. Yeah. Whoa, these guys are going to talk? Like, that's a, yeah, that, that is an amazing moment. And you're like, now this thing's finally picking up steam. Yeah, I'm on page 2600, and it's really yeah. coming together. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't mind the, the, the finale that much, but I got to say, it really has taken the wind out of me in terms of wanting to read some more of the that world but For i might sure. feel i might feel different in 15 years you know i might be like oh remember game of thrones Oh, I I'm think it would pull be... that off the shelf again. <laughs> it would be fun to re-listen or re- uh, reread Game of Thrones. I always feel I'm I'm very bad at reading books. 
since I moved to LA, I have a very hard time with it. So I would feel insane to use my reading time rereading books. But at the same time, if the options are reread a book or don't do any reading, maybe it's okay to reread a book for the Man, sake I of think, my brain. I think everybody's bad at reading books. I think that it, especially in this day and age, I, I don't I don't judge anybody who says that they don't read or that they um that they read, you know, just a couple books a year. Like I'm a heavy reader, but I think it takes a lot of work. And sometimes it's like Sometimes it's like I'm like sacrificing things to get a book read and I'm like, wow, this is a weird choice I'm making. <laughs> yeah, you like know? a couple of years ago I was like, I need like to be on vacation to read, which is yeah. an insane setup for someone who has no extra income. Like, it's like <laughs> I think it's normal. I <laughs> yeah, think right. that's normal, dude. I think that's I called think adulthood. That, I'm not even yeah. a parent. You're a parent as well. Yeah. So like, you have like even less time than the rest of us. You know, that's what people will tell you, John, but they're lying to you. Because I had a bunch of people when I uh, when my wife got pregnant go, well, you'll never read a book again. And then someone <laughs> else was like, say goodbye to movies. And I was like, oh, is that true? And then you find out that... The baby goes to bed every night at 6.30 p.m., and one parent has to be in the house or you're a negligent parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't crate train a human. We've learned yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and my, mo my, my mom, oh, my God. Well, that's Freudian. My wife uh, wants Texting to— Texting Kara, right? <laughs> yeah. My wife wants to leave the house sometimes, as do I sometimes, so she'll go, and I'll be like— Am I just going to sit on the couch and read a book? Oh, my God. That's incredible. You know, and then yeah, uh, the books get read that way. You know, yeah. sometimes instead of turning on the TV, that's what I do. And um, so actually, I get I think I find I get more read since having a kid. Uh, right. Well, yeah, because uh, some of the things that would eat up your time aren't that you can't do anymore. You're not, not there anymore. Yeah, you can't be out drinking all night necessarily. Uh, you can right. every once in a while, but it can't be like New York stand-up comedy levels. Yeah, in New York, you're like, <laughs> in New York City, you're like, it's 9.15 p.m. What am I doing for my career? <laughs> Get my agent on the phone. I sleep from 3.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm successful. The, and the rest of the time, I'm working an angle, see? <laughs> Um, I'm working an angle to audition for a non-union Burger King uh, spawn con or whatever. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Living the fucking dream. I got to uh, be out there doing a stand-up show for uh, nine people in the basement of an Irish bar and for I'm, free. And, <laughs> and I was pissed and I made a big stink about not being invited to do that show last week. So now I have to do it. And even though it's going to be bad, I need to do it because I was mad that I wasn't invited previously. Too real. Feels too real. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah, and what a waste of t wait. What a, compared to that, what a waste of time sitting home and reading a book you enjoy would be. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have to do like here. We do like oh, let's stay in bed for like, especially during the quarantine. It's like let's stay in bed for another hour on Sunday and read. Or like, how about instead of powering through more episodes of Dead to Me tonight, we just read. Like, we have yeah. to like, make the choice. And then even reading, I'll be sitting there holding the book. I'm just going to act it out for you on Zoom. I'll be sitting there holding the book. I'll be like, oh, what time is it? Oh, shoot, it's three. Okay. And then 40 minutes go by of me looking at my phone. Mm -hmm. Book book on my chest. 
book on my lap. I look over to my wife. She's on her phone too, book on her lap. Yeah. And we're like, should we put these away? <laughs> should we put these somewhere else? <laughs> How about when that happens while you've made the TV decision? You're like supposed to be binging the Americans and you both look up and you've just been staring at your phone and you're like, what is happening? Why is he talking to her? I thought that he, she betrayed him. Like, You're like, rewind, I guess. I'm humiliated at my lack of ability to even focus on one screen. Like, it's like I'm choosing to watch a movie, which is like one of my favorite activities and arguably just lazy sitting and looking at a screen. And I'll still like I've started to describe movies as like, oh, this movie gripped me so hard. I barely looked at my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a very fair review. (laughs) I used to be. I miss theaters for that reason. Yeah, theaters were good for, like, you know, you really, literally, they point you at the screen and they don't (laughs) let you pull out your phone. Like, I need the rules of that in order just to get by. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah, um... My wife sometimes is like, what are you going to read? What? Why would you do that? But I'll just like go in the other room and read, you know, or I'll say like, can I read while you watch TV? And she's like, what? But she lets me do it. So she can watch whatever program she wants. And I sit there reading near her and then we can kind of chat a little bit here and there. you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially now, like now these days, it's just like, what is, what is, daytime nighttime what are the rules what are right. what is whose living room is it currently uh, i'm assuming you guys recently had a kid not too long ago but pr- before this both of you full-time jobs traveling mm-hmm. for work out at different our entire marriage is built on the fact that both of us leave town frequently <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> feeling feeling a, a little crazy right about now <laughs> no i hear you you know one thing that helped uh, for me is, you know, when Kara and I first moved in together, my wife and I first moved in together, we, um, we, I had just started becoming a stand-up comedian, which meant that I was only working, I was out of town on weekends, but during the week I was kind of home during the day writing hilarious observations. <laughs> and she had a day job when I moved in with her and then she got laid off like the week I moved in with her. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm about to see this person all day every day. <laughs> and one of the things that let me know I had made the right decision was that when and we were in a New York apartment, one bedroom, pretty fucking small. <laughs> and um it the one that I knew I was in a good situation cuz it I didn't she didn't drive me crazy. You know? <laughs> it like it that worked out and I was like, okay, I could probably marry her then or whatever. So <laughs> But don't get me wrong. I mean, like this is this is challenging for everybody. This is challenging for us too. It's been yeah, like it's a wild. It's just and it's not even like we're at each other's throats. It's just like every once in a while we both realize, oh, we've been no more than twelve feet away from each other for sixty straight days. Like, <laughs> I mean, wait till a kid comes into it and you're like. Wait, I wanted to stare at my phone while you stared at the kid and made sure the kid wasn't carrying a knife. And both of us were staring at our phone, and now the kid has a knife? And, John, that literally did happen. Why weren't you watching her? She had a knife in her hand. That's That literally happened. Um, it's, as if, it's as if she's carrying the spirit of the sword wielder with her since birth. She yeah. is the sword wielder. The prophecies are true. And let's let's talk a little bit about uh, 
why we like fantasy. What what yeah. is it about fantasy that draws us in? And I, and I, I could throw to some stuff. I, I I kind of alluded to it earlier. There is that comic book, and and you see it with like newer fantasy, especially with the proliferation of like YA. I guess when I was reading fucking Forgotten Realms novels, I was reading YA before they had a word for it. It was just like, this is written by an adult man nerd, but it's for kid, it's for twelve year olds to read or whatever. But uh, shit, like I love. Uh, people working together with different and I and I don't know what it is that draws me in but there is that element like comic books where it's like is the world bigger than I see it as and you see it now with kids getting to read uh Harry Potter and shit and like uh shows like Stranger Things where like just the idea obviously I'm just describing the idea of fiction at this point but like fantasy no, no, no. specifically I think there's yeah. something specific that you're hitting on you know the 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 big names in in the fantasy genre do it like better than anything any other books and that's where it all comes from like lord of the rings like there's this sense the whole time that the world is bigger than the story cuz he created a language and he he filled a map and he will occasionally have characters mention you know, Radagast the Blue, or I think I got that correct, like some wizard (laughs) who doesn't even factor into the story at all so that it feels like there's this wider world that they're not, that isn't part of the story. And there's something really intoxicating about that that's like very exciting. And I, yeah, it, it is definitely one of the things that makes me like fantasy, but I don't know why I like that. Well, I, I, here, I have a pitch on that. I think, because uh, I'm a big fan of jargon and like inside baseball, even for uh, inside things that I'm not part of. Like yeah. I, I love just watching like police procedurals where they're using acronyms and shit. Like I love all that kind of shit. Love military like speak and stuff like that. And I think there's an element of that in fantasy where when they reference Radagast or Aragorn is also known as Strider because he's a ranger and you're like, wait, I want to hear more. Just knowing that that stuff exists, that you're on the outside in some way activates that desire to be on the inside in a way where you're like, oh man, these guys are talking about cool shit. I want to fucking dive into Middle Earth. I want to hear all about Radagast. And then so you kind of are like, yeah, it's like being a, and like maybe you can relate to this. It's like being younger and, and adults or your older brother and their friends, or older siblings are talking about something and you're like, I recognize Metallica as a band, but they're throwing some other stuff around. I got to remember these words. Like, this is important. <laughs> like, I'm learning. If I, like, it's like that world is bigger than you can imagine. And I think yeah. like continuity in comic books does that for a lot of people too. Absolutely. Like, like, it activates and maybe some element of it is there's some OCD to like, I want to know as much as I can know about certain topics, if it's available, there's well, like I that. have I have an opinion on this. I have an opinion on this. So I think that what's really cool about that that those like other things floating out there that are part of this world you don't know is that you don't know them, right? Like that activates your yes. religious awe. You're kind of like I can never fully know this, but it's real and it's out there and it's just beyond my reach. And that's what's exciting about it. And then nerds go, No, I need to catalog every detail about this. <laughs> <laughs> until it is a lifeless thing that I have put into several different file folders. And when they do that, they ruin it. Like, you know, you got to like realize that same with comic books, Marvel Universe or Middle Earth or whatever world you're talking about, like it's a story. So it needs to have those kind of corners that aren't totally filled in. Yes, yes. I a good uh a kind of off topic but on topic like 
The movie Solo answered questions none of us had about the Star Wars world, right? Star Wars are the worst people in not following this principle. Ex- you need to leave stuff unsaid. 100 percent 100 fucking percent and i think they they did it on a small scale with the eu but no one like that was less uh had less eyes on it or whatever then you make solo and it's like we don't han solo was the coolest name now we know he got the name because he was alone like that's so dumb (laughs) that is that's like a, a to me that's like someone who's not a writer creating things for it that sounds like someone who's like trying to sell the movie or market the movie or um, uh, what do they call it? shepherd the property like it sounds right, like an right. idea they threw in like the audience wants to see how Han Solo got his name we don't want to see that I don't care if you took a poll with Star Wars fans and they said that they did want to see that the readers and watchers of fantasy stuff don't know what they want yeah we don't you tell us just show they, us <laughs> they think they want to catalog every single detail so that they know it all that's not what they want that's they famously want a, ruined most art yeah <laughs> they just want a good they just want a good story that has all the cool shit they love in it like lightsabers and shit yes uh the dice the dice in the millennium falcon meant nothing to me they don't mean anything to the to the people in the movie <laughs> like they're in one frame yeah the, and, a, a terribly mishandled franchise uh, terribly yeah, mishandled brutal and you and and i and i'll say that to bob Iger's fucking face <laughs> Face me, Iger. <laughs> Face me, Iger. I know you already got a lot of uh, flack for when Logan came after you for the musical Hercules. Uh, he was very <sighs> furious about it. <laughs> Hercules would never sing. No. I had a minor in Greek theology. I know what you're discussing here. <laughs> um, um, but So the things I like about, and I like violence in, in my media. I love mm-hmm. sword fights, gun fights, all that shit. Um, there's something cooler about swords and bows and arrows than there is about guns and tanks and stuff. Yeah. As much as I love special, like reading Navy SEAL books and all that, I did all that shit too. And I, of course I'm reading like point man, the story of chief doc Watson's tour of Vietnam. And I'm reading it like it's special forces fantasy. I'm like, that sounds oh, awesome. and he, and he's a medic. Cool. He's like a cleric. <laughs> it's like, I'm reading and it's like real friend, real people dying for an awful war with an unjustified war. And I'm reading it like it's fucking Aragorn and crew. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I mean, I love st- stuff like that. I, I, I got this book. I, I go a little farther back in time. So I have like this book called Tutankhamun's armies. And it's like, what was warfare like in ancient Egypt? So sometimes it's even harder for me to remember that these are real people (laughs) who were like, sometimes they were, it's like ethnic genocide and stuff like that. And I'm like, what kind of swords did they have? Oh, they wiped out that village. That's so sick. Wait, is that village a full on (laughs) delineate, like uh, a full on family? Yeah, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Uh, Other things I I think something I like about fantasy is... Uh, it's a fun, it's often focused on one character or at least like a small, uh, group of people or a small character that overcomes some larger evil, which is like, obviously I'm describing storytelling, but 
as I'm realizing in the quarantine and I'm seeking out comfort, all my comfort is coming from movies where journalists uncover like shit, <laughs> like the insider, the rainmaker or like Pelican brief, like anything where like a small a, one lawyer makes a stand against the big corporation, like all that shit activates me so hard right now when I just need to know for the sake of society that there are a few good people out there. Not everyone is coughing in a cop's face on the Capitol steps or whatever. So like, I find that I get that from fantasy too, where it's like one person is like, yes, maybe our society is run by all men, but what if we allowed other thinkers? You know, I love sm shit like that gets me excited. Yeah. And it's often in fantasy because it's, I think it's written by dorks. It's written by people who feel persecuted for whatever reason. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really like, you know, you're talking about like those big political conflicts. One thing I like about fantasy is that it reframes these things so that you kind of leave your baggage at the door. It's like how Rod Serling, like when Rod Serling created the Twilight Zone, right beforehand he had tried to do all these TV uh, shows where he would do like, it's a two hour play about the Senate. And when he tried to do that, all the advertisers were like, fuck you, we're not advertising on that. And he didn't, he wasn't allowed to do it. So he was like, I guess I'll do it about people from Mars instead. And then everybody was like, what a fun little show. I'll advertise on that. And so the Twilight Zone was born. And the Twilight Zone says things about race. It says things about politics. But it does it in the context of science fiction or fantasy. And that's what I like about fantasy is like, Sometimes it like makes me re-examine my own biases or um, political beliefs because um, I don't realize I'm reading a philosophy. You know, right, I, I right. think I'm reading about swords and dragons. Right. That's cool. And uh, especially the shit you read when you were 12, you were like accidentally being like uh, radicalized positively, like <laughs> like re-listening to the Drizzt books. So I don't even, I, I never even placed it when I was listening to it as a kid, but now as an adult, like he's black and he leaves the underworld where he lives to go into a society where he has black skin and everyone judges him for it and they think right. he's evil immediately. And I never even put it like that. And it's just, oh, a drow elf. Wait, no, this is a 27 uh, book series that's an allegory for racism. And I didn't put it together until I was 40 reading it. <laughs> right. But, you know, you have to be so careful because it does go both ways. Like, oh, I think yes. there are books that are like secretly conservative <laughs> yes. and you don't really realize till you're much older. Like, um, this isn't fantasy, but Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, I think it's kind of scary conservative. Um, I loved it when I was a kid because it was well, like. Well, it's a fantastic book anyway it's yes, just the and philosophy is not game, great video game kids get to be heroes and that's all i need to hear to be sold on a book but then when you you're like and f forget all the kids showering together and violent and that shit yeah <laughs> just, just go right to like wait a minute yeah this is building mindless killers to do ba uh, battle on behalf of uh <laughs> the government yeah and they're like <laughs> look it's okay to take away someone's childhood if it's for these reasons it's like <laughs> right? a very but like the, the, the main conservative thing about Ender's Game, and by the way, this isn't all my own revelation. I read some essay and I wish I had the writer off the top of my head, but like 
the main conservative thing is that Ender is exceptionally vengeful person. Like he mm-hmm. takes, he comes back on all of his bullies like Charles Bronson in Death Wish, and oh, uh, which is the most right wing fantasy ever. I mean, yeah. Coming, now, now we're talking action movies. We're opening it to my specialty here. That yeah. movie is just about a white guy who like moves to San Francisco and pulls a gun out and is like, "My wife was raped and killed, so now yeah. everyone pays." <laughs> hey, yeah, it's like Bernie gets my hero. Yeah, it's um. So, like, there's a lot of that in fantasy where, you know, we talked about, I love violence, too, in books and stories, but I think I like just, like, a really extreme, like, cathartic moment in stuff. That's why I like horror, too. Like, I like to, like, I like something that's trying to make me go, wah, like, react (laughs) like that. And, like, the violence in, like, a fantasy novel, and especially you were, like, saying swords and arrows are better for you than guns like i mean could anything be more cathartic and more like extreme than like having to actually get close to someone and like lop their freaking arm off oh yeah um but yeah you gotta watch because sometimes like that that fiction is very reactionary it's like very like it's like about empowerment of the individual over anybody else's rights like yeah there's <laughs> like there, you can get into some uh slippery slope top yeah where all of a sudden you're like uh Wait a minute. There are so many characters that are being racist in this. Yeah. Like, like in the Drizzt books, everyone is hate. And it's like, hmm, even the people we later learn are good. Like, this is often vo- voicing a terrible opinion. <laughs> like, this is a book. This is 20,000 pages of s- some bad shit. Like, and, and sometimes you're reading it and you're like, oh my God, I'm just realizing that this person is wrong. Like, this is a bad person. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like you said, like, and everything you said about it f- f- goes both ways because, like, yeah, some of it's so great because it's people who were persecuted who were writing it. But, like, there's also people who think that they were persecuted or, you yeah, because they were like, a persecution was- <laughs> complex, you know. I'm a white guy and everyone hated me because I had glasses or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm a white yeah. straight. I yeah, was a exactly. loser. Yeah, like, <laughs> I wasn't persecuted because of any systematic oppression, but because. I annoyed people <laughs> personally. Yeah, there's a lot of that in it, you know. Um, have I you read? Is, have you go read? Ahead. My Wi-Fi is shit, huh? Is that what you're going to say? Oh no, not at all. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I, I but keep, is I, it? I'm sorry think, if it is. No, it's not your fault, but I think it's my fault. My Wi-Fi oh. is shit. Yeah, I got uh, a guy running a podcast business and a woman running her full-time day job out of one small apartment. So, and I don't know how good AT and T U versus bandwidth is to have two different Zoom conversations happening right. at once. <laughs> hey, yeah, here at Stream of Blood Studios, I ask my wife to please not play Quiplash while I'm playing role-playing games online. Yeah, the fact that I have to go like, hey, I'm supposed to smoke weed and do ASCAT. Uh, can you not have one of your video calls with your coworkers <laughs> that pays the bills and gives us health insurance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be screaming about fantasy novels with Jared. So if you could take an hour and a half off your day job, please do. <laughs> right. Have you read the Black Company books? Those That's one that I've been recommended a shit ton of times now. You know, I have as well. And I'm sorry to say I have not read the Black Company. Uh, I have not read the Black Company. I did just buy the book. And I also bought a book called Kings of the Wild with a uh, uh, W-Y-L-D that someone recommended. Kings of the Wild has a nuts premise, and I've really wanted to read it for a little while. My pile is just so high at this point. But, um, yeah, it's about, like, basically an adventuring party who are treated kind of like celebrities, like a uh, a 
heavy metal rock band <laughs> in the fantasy world that they live in. So they have to go on these bigger and wilder like adventures to impress their fans. You know? <laughs> That's a really fun idea. That's yeah. a fun premise. Uh, see, I love that shit too. Like, cause once we've established, like fantasy also gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Like it's got, a sort of built in this is what you expect from fantasy so it's easy to like leap off of in a way too yeah where it's like i love that heavy metal and like music is sort of associated with it too it has those roots in like that kind of counterculture of the early 80s kind of you know where all that kind of flowed together because i love a lot of that music and God, give um, me any song that is telling the tale of the fucking lightning bard or some shit. You know, I oh, love yeah. like all that shit. And like prog rock, I guess is what it was called at the time. Like too, yeah. like that shit where it's just like, and you ride on the dragon's wings, you know, like that shit fucking rules for me. My parents would never let me listen to Iron Maiden when I was young. They didn't realize Iron Maiden had songs that were based on English poetry. Like, <laughs> I know. This one's called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Like, <laughs> it's funny because D&D sort of had that attitude too where it was like, it was like heavy metal. It was like where it was like, just because the imagery I saw is like a woman in a bikini with like a dragon eating her or like a mummy with blood coming out of its mouth, I think it's bad. But meanwhile, yeah. to play D&D, you have to like learn math, English, probability, like all this like story, like right. all these skill sets that would help any human being growing, developing as an, a child. And so my parents were sense. like, no fucking way. No way are you yeah. listening to heavy metal and learning about sonnets. <laughs> it makes sense that religious people or people where I grew up, West Virginia, would be against it. They're like, I don't want you learning a bunch of shit. <laughs> right. The only fantasy for me is Deuteronomy, baby. Yeah. Uh, my mine was kind of the opposite. My my parents were just like, "Don't be a fucking weirdo." Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. from New York, so it was less uh, religious based and more like, "Can't you just fucking play baseball?" <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Don't you want to go outside, you fat fuck? <laughs> if only they saw the world we live in now, where I think everybody <laughs> says that they're a nerd and nerd is mainstream. You know, it's like. Um, I hate that shit. It's like I'm. A, we always joke about it on Action Boys. Like I'm a nerd. My favorite stuff is the top ten movies of the last five years. I know. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I'll have, I'm like I, a Star I, Wars comic book nerd in that it is the biggest global phenomena, and I'm into it. <laughs> dude, just the just the other day when I'm uh, uh, someone was like, "Hey, you know who would be good for your game? So and so," and I'd be like. Why, why would they want to play a, like a D&D game? And they're like, well, one time they said they like Star Wars. And I was like, that would be like me being like, I'm a basketball ex- expert. See, I'm wearing a pair of Jordans. <laughs> right, right. I'm a huge basketball fan. I'm a basketball nut. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't played since NBA Jam 98, really. Yeah. But uh, I, don't I don't know who any of the current players are, but I am wearing a pair of Jor- Air Jordan sneakers. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wait, so uh, let's let's wrap it up here a little bit, Jared. But real quick, are, is there any fantasy novels? Uh, I, by the way, for the listeners, we're in the stream of Blood Studios. You're just in front of bookcases here. I, my background is always, I own books, so that people <laughs> think that I'm smart. Mine um, is always like, this room has nine purposes, because I have a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yep, fold-out bed, podcast, uh, volcano, bookshelf my clothes <laughs> yeah um feel cool. you know i i when i first started streaming you know two months ago people were like you need to get a green screen i was like oh jesus christ um 
So anyway, the green screen is coming from Amazon sometime this week. Um, yeah, any other books to recommend? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I feel like there are so many. You know, um, what else have I read that blew, blew my mind lately? Um, I, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this last time we talked, but I've even gotten deeper. So, John, my big thing is I'm not as heavy into the big doorstopper like – 90s or even modern style like fantasy novels i like like uh let me grab them sorry one second take your time he for the listeners he's opening a skull that he has on the bookshelf behind him pushed a button the bookshelf is inside my what is in the skull my pretty um yeah so i'm really into like um yeah here we go I'm really into like these doll paperbacks from like the 60s and 70s oh, where cool. it's like basically like Michael Moorcock, who's one of my favorite writers, he uh, and they always have these beautiful covers too. see oh, these like beautiful, yeah. beautiful painted Michael Whalen cover. So I kind of uh, collect these and like basically like the difference between the 60s and now is that someone would take four of these books and publish it as one novel now. Well, back then they they wrote them into magazines and things like that and then they would collect them into these like little volumes but i'm really into like what they what it's actually called is new wave so um it's fantasy and sci-fi from like the 60s 70s early 80s that's right in that sweet spot for like you know when heavy metal became part of it but also like maybe smoking some drugs before you <laughs> wrote about your warlock warrior from uh melnibody yeah. came into it so so the these be- are sort of like one off about one character or one plot one storyline like kind of like Absolutely. not huge world building or something like that it's just like in fact sometimes they feel a little bit stream of consciousness to be honest with you um but the best ones do all kind of hold together as one saga right like uh, even though the in- individual books might have like one or even two or three adventures in them like they do follow up on the stuff later villains recur and things like that cool. and um the characters but like storm stormbringer isn't in the same world as a different morcock novel necessarily no it, well actually he did make them all connect because morcock Moorcock made all of his characters the same character. It's called the Eternal Champion. And you find out that they are all different incarnations in the multiverse of this eternal, eternally reborn champion. So, Oh, that's such a fun idea. This and is also- the Chronicles of Corum. And it's like, <laughs> you know, um, Elric and Corum are the same guy. And sometimes they team up. Oh, that's dope. I'm into that. Uh Wait, Eternal Champions, was that a name of a podcast or a stand-up show you hosted? Uh, Eternal Champions? Ah, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in my head. Or Dark Champions, Dark Eternals, was either of that? These, got- these all sound like comic books I've read or <laughs> video arcade games I've played. God knows um, how short-lived a fucking uh, Creek in the Cave uh, variety show called, or whatever. Yeah. I'm telling you, Dark Champions was something, and I can't place what it was. Um, uh, so all of these are great. Fritz Lieber is also amazing. He does Fafford and the Grey Mouser, which is a series of stories about this big, tough barbarian and his little friend who's like a tiny little thief. <laughs> and they're um, they're both like assholes who just want to get money and then get drunk <laughs> off of all the money that they get. It's and, like a uh, uh, Conan uh, sort of uh 
comparable because that's Absolutely. pretty much uh, Conan. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing I like about these, like that era, is that the characters were a little bit more like noir characters. Like they're more sleazy. They're like they're just like a little bit more like relatable like uh there's well, a lot of I, anti-hero stuff i think joe abercrombie was like uh, the most recent version of the fantasy i've read that's like that i'm like oh where the lead the main guy is like well i'm actually kind of a scumbag <laughs> like i don't right <laughs> yeah re- every other book i've ever read is like it is my time to rise as the king of the earth and you're like oh okay okay joe abercrombie is really good at depth of character which is like something that's actually kind of an innovation when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a lot like even the world these- is the world is sort of bigger than the characters so the characters are just sort of like slot in uh, oracle characters slot in heroes slot right. in nefarious villains slot in uh, a bodyguard or whatever but like yeah. Joe Abercrombie's like this is the dog man and he's gonna have to deal with becoming a chief and all that shit and it's yeah he has cool. like internal conflict and fears and like yeah. he's got good <laughs> things about him and bad things about him like his books are kind of about the characters which is like kind of, yeah it's groundbreaking in science fiction where like <laughs> You know, like Aragorn doesn't have a character. Like, right, right. He doesn't have really have a personality. He's badass. Is that a personality? Well, I mean, that's how I would describe. Like, if I were to write, I've been trying to write fantasy novels now for like. Oh, just awesome! Like, I've been like outlining different ideas and shit, and I'm like, all of them are just weird versions of myself. Where it's like he's like surprisingly agile thief even though he's a big fat party animal <laughs> I'm like but he uses that uh, as his cover and I'm like wait I'm just describing my like dream I'm writing comic books starring John Gabrus more or well less. Th- thank you for doing that I that would I would love to read that please finish <laughs> it and let me read it and and also please come play in some of my games so that you can just you can just uh, test drive the character. And we could release it as a 13-book series, like, in 10 years from now. Why not? <laughs> Fucking do it. Why the it, hell dude. not? <laughs> oh, well, this is a perfect segue into uh, Let's Talk Plugs. So you're oh, doing great. you're doing a Twitch uh, tabletop gaming stream. Is that That's correct? That's right. So we are doing a, a stream called Stream of Blood. We play tabletop. We're all playing games. We do not play, at this point, any kind of dungeon or dragon-based games because we find that there are a lot of streams like that. So we're doing kind of like horror-based games, but we have two very different ones. I have got a show called Vampires of Pittsburgh, uh, <laughs> starring Thomas Middleditch, Ross Bryan, and Ashley Birch. And they are it is exactly as it sounds. We are playing the 1990s game Vampire the Masquerade, where people portray vampires and in the gothic metropolis, the haunted <laughs> metropolis of Pittsburgh, PA. Um, and that's gone that's gone so well and it's been uh, really really fun to see where the story goes cuz I the thing I try hardest to do as a game master is make it open ended so that's every Wednesday at 6pm Pacific and then every Sunday at 2pm Pacific I have my Call of Cthulhu campaign and that campaign is called the Neptune Society and it's set in nautical in a nautical setting in the 1800s so it's all like big sailing ships and getting stranded on desert islands and like trying to find pirate treasure but also sometimes mutants eat your face oh this is so fun you know in a in a time where we're all monetizing or 
contentizing at least our hobbies. This sounds like a fucking blast and an excuse to get back into a fucking tabletop game. Like, yeah, I, don't have, I don't have six hours. My wife would never let me play six hours of D&D a week unless I was making $80 a month doing it. Um, <laughs> yes, and I'm definitely making that much. Um, yeah, we, well, we- I, I, just need the, I just need the cover story to kind of articulate. Oh, well, on Twitch, you can eventually make money. And then at least it looks like I'm working towards something. Come, pay, come play with us. I'll give you 80 bucks. <laughs> but I will say, like, it is we try to we we do a couple things differently. Like some shows go on for five hours. We try to be done in two hours, so you get these little two hour kind of movies to watch. And um yeah, we try to do a couple things differently. We also we also don't mind being, you know, having a laugh while we're playing. <laughs> you don't are have to take a dour seriously. Your cast but we also sounds are like not like comedians. trying to be Mr. Joke Man the entire time. We're really playing the game. So I, w- I hope everybody will look up Stream of Blood and watch us, watch us do yeah, some of that stuff. Check out Stream of Blood. Also, this is you're describing the exact level of tabletop gaming I want. I want people that are funny but know that it's time to be like that we're taking this seriously. Right, oh, that's absolutely. all I want in life. That's all I want in friends. Like, I just want people who are funny, but we don't have to demonstrate it all the time. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Just play the game. I'm sure the funny will. I mean, it always happens. I mean, you have to roll dice and then your character fails and something horrible happens. That's always hilarious. Yeah. So, <laughs> so check out Stream of Blood. You're at Jared Logan uh, on social on media. On Twitter. Yeah. And Stream of Blood's at underscore Stream of Blood. It's on Twitter and it's. There's a Facebook group too. Cool. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, put the stream of blood link in the show notes. But uh, Jared, thanks so much, and keep texting me uh, recommendations for when you read. So I'm going to read that uh, call of the wild or whatever it was called, uh, Kings of the Wild. I'll let you know if it's any good, dude. Yeah, please do because I think I I want I'll be right in line behind you after that. I want to read that one. Oh, dope. Well, thanks so much for coming back on High and Mighty, episode seven, and then episode two hundred and fifty something. That's a pretty wild run. <laughs> I'll see you at seven eighty nine, John. <laughs> yeah. God help society and myself if we're still doing this in four hundred episodes. Uh, I'm at Gabrus on all social medias. Check out my other podcast, Action Boys. Jared Logan, thanks for coming back on High and Mighty. Thank. That was a HeadGum Podcast.